going to open up to Jonah chapter 1. Even though we read the book in its entirety last night, we are going to, from here on out, we're looking at each chapter. Each session will be a chapter, and I will be reading uh, the chapter again. I will be studying uh, for the session. So uh, please open up to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1, and allow me to read it for us, and please follow along uh, with me. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord as he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Let me pray for our time and God's work together. Lord God, we ask that you would have mercy on us. As we have sung this morning, God, you are a great God and your mercy is great. And we are great sinners and we are in great need of your mercy. Lord, we pray even as we approach your word this morning that you would be merciful, that you would grant us understanding, that you would convict us, that we would worship you, and that you'd be glorified. 
And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, many of you guys know that in high school, I was a theater kid. I was one of those guys. Not something I'm proud of. Please don't clap. <laughs> but yes, I was. I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I was a theater kid. And uh, our, our theater was a very big theater. Um, we, uh, it was a big program at our school, I should say. Um, and we usually ran big three productions, a fall play, um, usually a, a winter musical, and then a, a spring play as well. Um, and tryouts were, were very competitive. Um, we had 1,600 people at the school. And so, uh, you know, and be, being that it was a big part of the school and of the community, uh, a lot of people were trying out. Uh, but only a few got in. And there was always this one sweet little girl. Her name was Barbara. Barbara. And just as a short little curly blonde haired glasses little girl. Since her freshman year, she tried out for every single play. She was she loved theater and she loved our theater program. And it was just her dream to be in, in one of our productions. And so she would try out every time, but she never made it on the cast list. Like not even as an extra walking by. She just couldn't do it. But every time she would end up as a, as a techie. Okay? A techie is someone who they, they dress in all black and like they, they move the props. Like when the lights are down and you're transitioning scenes, they would come out and they, they put the table where it needs to go. Put the props where it needs to be. And she would always be a techie because she just wanted to be involved. But she never made it into a play. Now the thing about Barbara, and, and, bless her heart, <laughs> it, it got kind of creepy, is that she always, I mean always, just appeared at, at random places. I mean she was everywhere. Everywhere. Always. There's Barbara. I'm telling you, like, you'd be having a private conversation with someone and you turn around and you're like, oh, Barbara! Like, how long have you been there? Like you you go into the storage closet to grab a prop, you turn on the light, and there's Barbara! What are you doing in here? I, I kid you not, this actually happened. I I walk up into the catwalk. Above the whole theater to grab something, like to adjust like a light or something. And all of a sudden, there's Barbara. <laughs> Barbara, what are you doing here? Like she was literally everywhere. Now the book of Jonah. <laughs> I'm going to relate it. I'm going to relate it. All right. <laughs> the book of Jonah, it starts off, I mean, at a fast pace, right? Chapter one is jam-packed. With excitement and events, and a lot happens here. Now, with so much going on, I do think it's important for us, we're trying to tackle this in, in, in one session, to just try to narrow it down, narrow down our focus to one overarching point, to, to, to best understand what is happening. And what I want us to focus on this morning is the richness of God's mercy. In the richness of his mercy. In this first chapter, we see time and time again God's mercy being displayed. We see God everywhere. We see his mercy displayed over and over again. You look one place, and there's God. He's involved. You look somewhere else, and guess what? There he is too. Yeah, I'm not saying Barbara's God, but okay, <laughs> my point here is that you look at one angle of the story, and you see God's mercy. But then you look at another angle here, and guess what? 
There's God's mercy again, everywhere, over and over again. And so in looking at the story, I want us to see God's mercy. And I want us to look at this story through three different perspectives, through Jonah's, through the pagan sailors, and God's. As if like we're watching a movie, and the first third, you see the whole movie through, through one perspective. You're like, oh, that's cool. And then all of a sudden, the, the second third of the movie, you see the whole story again unravel, but through someone else's perspective. And then the last third, you see the whole movie again through someone else's perspective. And then you get a whole complete picture of what happened. And this morning, I want us to look at God's mercy through the different perspectives of these three different people or groups of people. I want us to look at God's mercy first despite Jonah's disobedience. I want us to see God's mercy in response to the pagans' repentance. And I want us to see God's mercy displayed through God's sovereignty. All right, so first, and this will be where we will spend the majority of our time, is Jonah's disobedience. Jonah's disobedience. And when we first meet Jonah, he's on dry land. And he receives word from the Lord. The instructions from God are pretty clear. Arise and go to Nineveh. Call out against it. Even though the instructions were clear, Jonah did not do what he was instructed to do. And what was the issue here? It was, was, was it a, not a, a clean line of communication? Was, was God breaking up on the phone? Was it, Psh, what's that, God? Psh, I can't hear it. What did you say? Ah, I lost him. He, he said something. Go somewhere. Maybe Tarshish, I think he said. Like, is that what happened? No. Did Jonah not understand God's word? Was it not clear? Well, I think Jonah understood very well what God's command was. In fact, it is because he understood what God was commanding him that he went against his word. It is because he knew that God wanted him to preach to Nineveh that he chose to disobey. I think often we can do the same thing. Do we not? Sinclair Ferguson writes, quote, It's been well said that our problem in obeying God is not that we do not understand what he is saying, but that we do. He goes on to say, no, his, as in Jonah's, his difficulty was not intellectual. And if the truth be told, ours is rarely, if ever, intellectual either. Jonah's difficulty was moral. End quote. You see, Jonah knew very well what the instructions were. It was not an intellectual issue. It was a morality issue. He understood God's instructions. He did not want to obey God's instructions. Think of your own life. Think of your own disobedience. I would bet that more times than not, it is not an intellectual issue. You know what God's instructions are. You know what is honoring to him. You know what it means to be in obedience to him. It's not an intellectual issue. It's a morality issue. God's instructions are clear, and yet too often we choose to go the other way instead. What are those clear instructions in your life? What are those clear instructions in your life that you know God desires for you, and yet you go the other way? 
God had his will and his desires, and Jonah had his will and his desires. And they were not aligned. Instead, they were headed for collision. And why was this the case? What was going on in Jonah's heart and his mind? We, we don't really know. I mean, it doesn't say. Maybe, you know, could, 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 could it have been a, a deep hatred for, for the Ninevites? That he just hated the Ninevites? Maybe. I mean, they were, they were God-hating people, right? They were enemies of God. So why save them? Why show God's mercy to them? We should destroy them. Maybe it was just out of hatred. Could it have been a fear of man? Maybe. I mean, what would people back at home think? And we often view Jonah as an outlier. Like, dude, what's your problem? When in reality, I would bet that most people back at home in Israel would have supported his decision to flee. Yeah, don't preach to Nineveh. Don't do that, Jonah. You're, you're a prophet of God. Like, speak to God's people. Not God-hating, unbelieving Gentiles. Don't talk to them. For him to preach to Nineveh, it, it, it could have produced shame from his own people. Oh, there's Jonah, the traitor prophet. Can you believe? He preached to Nineveh? And now look, God showed mercy on them. Great job, Jonah. We don't know exactly what was going on in, in his heart and his mind, but we do know that he had a deep and strong pull to go against the will of God. Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. So what? So he went the opposite way. He goes to the ticket booth in Joppa and he's like, look, what do you have, man? I'll, I'll take anything, like anything. I'll do anything. I just need to get out of here. Just what? What do you got? And he's like, oh, let's see. We, we, we got a ship going to Tarshish. Perfect. I'll take it. Here's the money. I don't care the cost here. Take my money. I just need to get away from here. I need to get away from Nineveh. Wow. And do, you, do you see the desperation to not want to do what God wants him to do? Now, I'm adding some words here, right? I don't know if that's exactly what he said, but it's clear. I mean, God said, arise, go to Nineveh. And it says in verse 3, he rose to flee to Tarshish. So he should have risen to go to Nineveh, but instead he rose to flee to Tarshish. It was clear instruction, and it was intentional disobedience. Have you ever been so desperate to live in disobedience to God? Have you ever been so desperate to live in disobedience to God? What I mean is, when we are running from the will of God, we are willing to do just about anything, aren't we? When we so desperately want sin, when we so desperately want an idol, when we so desperately want the path of disobedience, we would do just about anything to make it happen. You begin to lie. You begin to sacrifice other things in order for you to get it. You begin coming up with creative ways to get away with it. Your decisions begin to affect others. And then you wonder, how did I get here? And now I'm, 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 I'm too deep in. I'm too far down. And soon you begin spiraling down a path of darkness because you wanted that sin so badly. It says he fled. It says he fled and he, he went away from the presence of the Lord. 
Now, did he actually go away from the presence of the Lord? I mean, he sought to, right? Like he fled, but no one can actually escape the presence of God. He's omnipresent. So what does it mean when it says that that he, he went away from the presence of the Lord? Well, this is a Hebrew idiom. Okay, some examples of an English idiom would be, maybe someone said it this morning. Someone said, man, it's raining cats and dogs. Did anyone go, oh, where? No, like obviously we know it wasn't cats and dogs, right? Or, or let's say you get in trouble with your mom and your mom's like, Jimmy, you're on thin ice. And you're like, oh, really? <laughs> then that thin ice would break instantly, right? Like you're not actually on thin ice. All right, what, what the author is saying here is that Jonah had fled the presence of the Lord, that he is living in full rebellion and rejection of the Lord. Now, he ran from the Lord physically, but this is referring to his heart fleeing, that he is living now in full rejection of God. He ran from God. Is anyone running today? Is anyone running today? Maybe you've read or you heard very clearly God's instruction and will in his word, but you are running away from what you know is right and what you know is honoring to him. Are you running today? Will you arise and follow the word of the Lord? Or will you keep running? Will you arise and flee the other way? The way in which Jonah was called was to arise and to preach to Nineveh. I think God may be calling us in a more similar way than you might think. Has not God called and commanded every believer to arise and proclaim the gospel to the lost? And we'll just look at at, at a few verses. There's there's many. Psalm 105.1. Psalm 105.1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Romans 10, 14 and 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And and how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And of course, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Jesus, here, I have the authority. Now listen to what he says. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Are you in disobedience to God against this command? I mean, it's just like any other command. And yet sometimes we feel as if this command does not apply to us. If you have experienced the true love of God, if you have been born again, then you have been called by God to share the gospel of his mercy and grace to others. Do not think that this command is just For Jonah, because he's a prophet. Jonah is just like you and me. Jonah is a person who's experienced and received the grace of God in his life. And he's commanded to share the gospel of God to others. 
Now, in this case, God specifically, specifically calls Jonah, as his prophet, to preach to Nineveh. However, he fails to do so. Instead, he disobeys the very word of God. And maybe you think, well, I'm not called to go to Nineveh. In fact, I, I can't. I'm here. I, I'm with my parents. I'm not called to go anywhere. Well, guess what? You're already in Nineveh. You're already in a land that hates God and needs to hear the mercy of God. I've heard a, a statistic. I don't know if it's true or not, but I believe it probably is, or at least close to it. I've heard a statistic that says that we, that in the Bay Area, we are in the most unchurched areas in the entire country. I believe it. What a great opportunity we have to be a light on a hill. What opportunity we have to share the good news of Jesus right where we are. And maybe some of you are called to go elsewhere and to share God's mercy somewhere else. If so, then be obedient to that call. But likely many of you, at least for right now, are called to stay. But just because you are called to stay does not mean that you are called to keep your mouth shut. Instead, respond to the word of the Lord and proclaim his excellencies and proclaim his goodness and proclaim his grace so that all might hear of the glory of God. Do not run from your call to proclaim the mercies of God. But oh, how quickly the excuses can come up, right? How quickly we can see other available paths as reasons not to follow God. I'm sure Jonah felt justified and reasoned that, well, you know, maybe God was okay with him fleeing to Tarshish. After all, there was a boat available. Was that a sign from God saying, all right, forget Nineveh. Go ahead and go the other way. Look, I provided a way. You can go to Tarshish. Do you ever do that? You ever look for signs that might point of God wanting you to, to do things that you know he doesn't want you to do? That you mistake God's patience for his approval? Hey, I got away with it. So I guess it's all right. Be careful of mistaking opportunity with virtue. Of mistaking patience with approval. You can bet that the enemy will provide a convenient way for you to run from the Lord. Just because there's a ship that allows you to run in the opposite direction does not mean that it is God saying, go, take the ship. Sometimes we look so hard for external signs, asking God, speak to us, make clear your will. When in reality, he has spoken to us and he has made it clear right here in front of us in his word. Seek this. Seek his word. Follow this. Follow his word. You see, that ship in Joppa was not a means to escape God's will. And it was not placed there on accident either. That ship was there. And it was used as a test for his prophet. And ultimately it was used to discipline his prophet as well, which we'll get to. So now we see Jonah on the ship, the vessel which he believes will allow him to take matters into his own hands. All right, I'm good. So he decides to go down to the sleeping quarters to get some rest, get some sleep. And maybe he was trying to sleep away his guilty conscience. Maybe he was tired from running. It's tiring to live in rebellion to God, isn't it not? Regardless, he, he falls asleep. 
And while he's sleeping, a huge storm arises. And all the sailors on the deck, I mean, they're freaking out. And there's Jonah down below, sleeping his sorrows away. As he's fast asleep, now he's suddenly awoken by a pagan sailor that says, Arise, call out to your God. Does that sound familiar? Did anyone catch that parallel right there? In the Hebrew text, I mean, it's, it's like super parallel, if that's even a thing. Verses 1 and 2, I mean, it echoes verses 6. Verse 1 and 2 says, the word of the Lord came, arise, call out. Verse 6, the captain came, arise, call out. See, God called Jonah to arise and call out, but he didn't. And now a pagan sailor is telling him to do the same thing. But this time, he is to call out to his God. See, Jonah thinks he's running away from God, but he can't. He goes to sleep thinking, I did it. I'm going to Tarshish, not Nineveh. I'm in the clear. And then suddenly he's awoken and the first words he hears are, arise. And he's thinking, oh, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> and then it's followed up with, call out to your God. He must have been thinking, I don't want to call out to my God. I'm hiding from God. But once again, he's called to arise. What an interesting picture we have here. And you have all of these pagan sailors up on the deck in panic, seeking answers to save their lives, right? I mean, they're trying everything they can. Cargo off, like call out to their gods. They, they don't know how to save themselves. And you have Jonah, a prophet of God who has the answer, sleeping down in the quarters, doing nothing. <laughs> Do you relate to this at all? Does the picture of Jonah being asleep down below in the cabin while the pagans are at top searching for help represent you in any way? I mean, how often are Christians sleeping down below while the world above is so desperately searching for help? And we are not engaged. We wait until they come and beg and ask us for answers. Christian, the world is in chaos. The world is headed for destruction. Your unbelieving family and friends, even your enemies, are on a path that leads to eternal death. And you have the answer. And you have the solution. And you have experienced it. And you are commanded to share it. Are you sleeping down below? Are you sleeping? Do you need to arise? The problem when you sleep is you don't realize that you're sleeping. <laughs> when you fall asleep on accident, say on a Sunday afternoon, and you drift up, off into a nap, when you wake up, we all ask the same dumb question. Have I been asleep? How long have I been out? We always ask that. Well, I ask you now. Have you been asleep? Have you been asleep? Have you been sleeping with the answers of God's word while the pagan world around you is in desperate need and you hold the answer to their salvation? Arise. Do not wait for them to come to you, but go and share the good news of Jesus Christ. And then after other events occur, which we're going to look at in a little bit from a different perspective, after other events occur, Jonah is tossed into the ocean. 
And he's swallowed up by a great fish. The chapter ends with Jonah in the belly of the great fish. And I want us to pause just for a moment and see the great mercy of God. I want us to see the mercy of God. Despite the disobedience from Jonah, God continues to show mercy to his servant. Jonah was ready to die. When he was thrown overboard, I don't think it was in anyone's mind that said, well, maybe God will send a fish to swallow him up. That could be a good option. As Jonah is thrown into the air and is crashing into the water, in his mind, his life is over. But God shows mercy. God didn't have to save him. But in his mercy, he chose to send a fish to swallow him and to save him. Maybe you are here and you are running from God. Maybe like Jonah, you are living in direct disobedience to his word. Know that God is a merciful God. He is a God who disciplines. And he is loving to do so. And I think Jonah does receive some discipline here. We'll see it in the, in the, in the belly of the fish. But run to God and receive his mercy. If you are a child of God, you can rest assured that you will always, always be a child of God. And his grace and his love and his mercy will always be there for you. Even in your disobedience. So we see God's mercy even in Jonah's disobedience. Now we see the pagans' repentance. The pagans' repentance. And for us to see the repentance... We must first see where they're coming from. All right, These are pagans. They, they do not believe in God. They are idol worshipers. They don't worship God. In fact, they worship many false gods. And let's pick up the scene when now God hurled a great wind upon the sea. All right, this caused a great storm. I mean, it was so great that these sailors were afraid and they all start calling out to their false gods to save them. And this storm must have been some storm. I mean, these sailors are seasoned, well-experienced sailors. And yet every single one is terrified. You would think, you'd think there'd be that one guy that says, Oh, this is nothing. I've been through it worse before. You're all just a bunch of sissies. Right? There'd be that one guy. No. Every single one terrified. It was a storm unlike none other. These sailors were terrified for their lives. I mean, it's chaos on the deck. They're all calling out to their false gods. They're throwing cargo off the side of the ship. Nothing's working. They are going to die. And the captain, at some point, he realized and thought, where's that guy we picked up in Joppa? Where is that guy? So he went down the sleeping quarters, and he found him sleeping. He thought, what are you doing? The ship is going down. So he wakes up Jonah and says, Arise, call out to your God. Then they decide to cast lots to see, all right, who's the, who's the one causing this evil, right, this, this storm? It's got to be because uh, of the people here on this boat, someone here. Now these lots, it doesn't say, it just says they're lots. These lots that they cast, it could be a few different things. Most likely, though, they were stones that were used like dice. And sometimes they'd be various colors. But commonly, they would have two colors, a dark side and a light side. 
And each person had two dice. And, and, and if if they both fell on dark, they rolled and they both fell on dark, it'd be a negative response from the gods. And if they both fell on the light, it'd be a positive response from the gods. And if one was dark, one was light, then the gods would not be answering at the moment. That's sometimes how the lots would be working. Well, guess what? The lots fell on Jonah. Not on the other sailors, but on Jonah. And it was now made clear to the sailors, what was already clear to Jonah, that the storm and the threat of their lives was caused by him, by Jonah. So the sailors inquire, and they ask, what, 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 what can we do to stop the storm? His response, pick me up, throw me over. That's his response. He could have repented. He could have confessed his sin to God. He could have asked him to, look, let's, let's turn this back to Joppa. I got to go back to Nineveh, where I'm supposed to be. But we don't see a repentant heart. Instead, we see his continual rebellion towards God. In a sense, he would rather die than preach to Nineveh. He's like, oh, I'm, still, I'm not going to Nineveh. Throw me over. I'll die. And what were the sailors' response? Look at verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. They are trying to save not just themselves, but Jonah too. They could have easily saved themselves by doing as Jonah said and just throwing him overboard. But instead, they are rowing as hard as they can to get back to dry land. But the storm is getting bigger and bigger. They can't outrow God. Isn't it interesting, though, the compassion of these pagan sailors? Did you catch that? They're doing everything they can do to save the life of this man they don't even know. I mean, here's Jonah, God's prophet, who has already demonstrated the lack of love for the Gentile Ninevites. And he's doing everything he can to avoid showing them love and compassion and mercy. He's like, nope, not going to do it. And then in contrast, here are pagan sailors doing everything they can do to save this man's life. Why is it true that so often unbelievers appear more Christ-like than Christians? I don't mean that universally. I don't mean to make a blanket statement. I'm not saying that. But I do mean that as a challenge. Christian, do do your unbelieving friends appear more Christ-like than you? Do your unbelieving friends show the love of Christ more than you? I think it's good for us to assess if we are demonstrating the love and characteristics of Christ to the unbelieving world around us. And I think it's sad when the unbelieving world shows the love of Christ more than the followers of Christ. After the sailors tried all that they could do to to, to fight against the power of God by rowing, they now come to a place of repentance. Verse 14, they cry out to the Lord. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. They don't want to kill Jonah. They didn't want to, but now they've witnessed the power of God and they're now calling out to him. They aren't calling out to their false gods anymore. They're calling out to the one true God. And then as soon as they throw Jonah overboard, 
the storm stops. Look at verse 15. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. I mean, how incredible, how frightening that must have been. And what was their response? Repentance. Worship. Look at verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. Remember before, they they feared the storm exceedingly. Now they fear the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Might we learn from these pagan sailors? Salvation is not found in false gods or idols. Salvation is not pluralistic. There are not multiple ways to God. Salvation is found through Christ and Christ alone. It was God who brought on the wrath and the storm. And it was God who showed mercy and spared their lives. And the same is true for every single one of us too. That because of our sin and rebellion towards God, his wrath is upon us. Although it is, much, it is much greater than the storm. And we can try calling out to false gods. And we can try worshiping false idols. And we can try lightening the load and throwing cargo out of our life. We can try rowing harder and harder and trying to get our lives to safe ground. When in the end, it is futile. None of this will give you hope. None of this will give you salvation. Salvation is found in God. Alone. Now, do you see the mercy? Do you see God's mercy even on these pagan sailors? These guys weren't seeking out God. In fact, not too long ago, they were crying out to their false gods to save them. But God made himself known to them. And he showed them mercy. He not only spared their physical lives in the storm, but he also revealed himself to them as the one and true living God. Imagine the stories that they must have told. And sailors always have stories. But they go back and they say, you should have seen what God did. God's mercy is available to you too. It doesn't matter how many false gods you have worshipped. It doesn't matter how long you've rejected him. It doesn't matter how long of a list of sins and rebellion you have against God. Come to him in faith in Jesus Christ and repentance of your sins and receive the mercy of God. Now, lastly, we see God's sovereignty and we see God's mercy displayed through God's sovereignty. Throughout this process, and really throughout all of life, always, we see that God is in control. That he is completely sovereign, meaning he always reigns. That he is always the supreme ruler with complete control and complete power. This is always true all the time. But we see it even more clearly, I think, in the book of Jonah and even here in just the first chapter. So I want to point out three ways in which we see his sovereignty here in this first chapter. First, we see God's sovereignty over creation. We see God's sovereignty over creation. Do you see God's complete power and control over the oceans? I mean, he is the one who hurled the winds. He is the one who created a storm unlike any other that these sailors have ever seen before. He is the one who made it stop in an instant. Have you ever tried controlling water? 
You should see me. I'm serious. You should see me trying to bring a bowl of soup from the kitchen to the dining room. I mean, I am so still going so slow. Half the time, Katie has to come over, walk over and grab it from me. Because I'm like, it's like I'm using the force to like make sure no drop spills out of the bowl. That's the extent of control of water I have. That's it. But look at this. I mean, God tells the water to crash. God tells the water, go to this speed. God says, go to this height, water. And it listens. God tells the water to stop. And it's still. And it listens. What? God tells the lots to roll a certain way and to fall on Jonah and not any of the the other sailors. But only on Jonah. And the lots do exactly as God commanded. Do you see God's mercy and his sovereignty over creation? The storm could have killed the sailors. But what? God was sovereign and merciful. The lots could have fallen on anyone. It could have fallen on, on Jim Bob. And he would have been like, no, I'm serious. No, no, I didn't do anything. But God was sovereign and merciful. We must not overlook the miraculous. And we must understand that God was sovereign through it all. And in his sovereignty, he acted mercifully. Second, we see God's sovereignty in the salvation of the pagan sailors. In his sovereignty, we see God's, the salvation for the pagan sailors. While these sailors got on the boat, they wanted nothing to do with God, right? Nothing. But when they returned back to dry land, they were different people. New creations. When we meet these sailors, they are crying out to their false gods, verse 5. And when we leave them, they're making sacrifices to the one true God and vowing to serve him. Verse 16. What a contrast. What a difference the almighty sovereign God makes. God uses the sin of Jonah, his running away from God, as a means to bring salvation to these sailors. God can use even our own sin and mistakes for the purpose of his will to to accomplish his work. Now be careful where your mind might lead you. Some will say, well, see, it was good for Jonah to disobey God. Otherwise, these sailors wouldn't have been saved. First off, it's never good to disobey God. Second off, God didn't need Jonah on that boat to save these sailors. He could have used a cow to save these sailors if he wanted to. So don't think that the only reason they were saved... Is because Jonah disobeyed. They were saved because God willed that they would be saved. The point is that God is greater than our sins. That God is greater than our mistakes. And God can even use the disobedience of his own servant to bring salvation to the lost. That's how great our God is. Do you see God's mercy and his sovereignty over salvation? They had nothing to do with their salvation. Even Jonah had nothing to do with their salvation. He wasn't preaching the gospel to them. It was all God in his sovereignty as to why and how they came to know the true and living God. Lastly, we see God's sovereignty through the protection of Jonah through a big fish. We see God's sovereignty through the protection of Jonah 
through a big fish. I mean, what an incredible God we have. That he can send a fish. He sent a fish (laughs) to swallow up Jonah, to save his life, to preserve his life in the belly of the fish. And then to spit him up in Nineveh. And this is where people say, see, there's, there's no way. This could not have happened. It's impossible. There is no fish that could do this. And even if there was, there's no way he could survive. And this is where we have faith in a God that is bigger than our reasoning, that is bigger than science, that is bigger than the impossible. God is a supernatural God, and he is a miraculous God. And I know with certainty that a big fish swallowed up Jonah, and that three days later it spat him out on dry land. How do I know that? Because God's word says it. But it doesn't make sense. It's just it's impossible. It doesn't matter. If God's word said that a plankton swallowed him up, I would believe it. And you would argue, there's no way a plankton could do that. But God is a sovereign God. And God is a supernatural God. And God has no limits. And if God's word said that a plankton swallowed up his prophet Jonah, then I would know with certainty that a plankton swallowed up Jonah. See, I'm not interested in wondering, well, was it a whale? What kind of whale? Was it this fish? Was it that fish? I don't care. It doesn't matter. It could have been a plankton. I'm not impressed by the fish. I'm impressed by God. And God was sovereign over it all. And in his great protection and wisdom and power, he saved Jonah in a miraculous way. Do you see God's mercy and his sovereignty to save and protect Jonah? What a merciful God. He could have let Jonah drown and die. He could have. He didn't have to send a fish to swallow him and save him. But in his great mercy, he did. And even through his disobedience, God will still use him for his glory, which we're going to look at tomorrow. Well, in this first chapter, we see a lot happen, right? A lot happen. It starts off with Jonah receiving word from the Lord to go to Nineveh and ends with him in the belly of a fish. How did we get here? But through it all, we see the mercy of God spilling into the lives of everyone. God's mercy is great. God's mercy is undeserved. And God's mercy is available to you. For both the Christian and the non-Christian. Christian, you still sin. And there may be times when you sin greatly. Like Jonah, you may run the opposite way you should be running. You may be living in disobedience to God. But come to God and receive his mercy. Like David says in Psalm 51.1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. God's Mercy is abundant. Do not continue to run away from God, but run towards God and receive his abundant mercy. If you're not a Christian, if you're here and you're not a Christian, maybe you need to receive his mercy for the first time. Maybe you have never truly, genuinely trusted in Jesus as your Savior. 
Maybe you have never truly and genuinely repented of your sins and asked God to forgive you of your sins. Know that God's mercy is available to you. Stop running away from God. Run to God in faith and repentance and receive His infinite mercy. To everyone in this room, Christian or not, you need the mercy of God. I need the mercy of God. And this mercy is made available to you by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus spilled his own blood. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that we can be saved. And he lives today and is interceding on our behalf. So that now, as it says in Hebrews 4.16, that we can, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Go to his throne of grace and receive mercy. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you for your rich mercy, for your infinite mercy. God, thank you for... All the ways in which you've been merciful to us. Even ways in which we don't even realize or acknowledge. But I pray that we would see your great mercy in our lives. And it would move us to worship and to live in obedience to you. Lord, I ask you to bless the time that we have in discussion. God, that it would be an honest and true time. And a time in which you work in our hearts. Convict us. For your glory, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Mm-hmm.